You're listening to the Everyday Attic Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ariel. The information, opinions, or references shared are not meant to treat or diagnose any medical, mental health, or addiction issue. It's informational and educational only. If you struggle with mental health or addiction issues, please seek help from your doctor, mental health professional, or addiction specialist. Let's get on to the show. Today, we're going to discuss formation of addiction and just what addiction is. And specifically, we're going to focus on drug addiction. So you may have heard different things about what addiction is, but drug addiction is a chronic disease characterized by drug seeking and use that is compulsive or difficult to control. Despite harmful consequences, the initial decision to take drugs is voluntary for most people, But repeated drug use can lead to brain changes that challenge an addicted person's self-control and interfere with their ability to resist intense urges to take drugs. That's, That's a lot. So addiction just doesn't form on its own. It's classified as a an acquired brain disorder or an acquired disease. There's certain steps you have to do or there's certain things that you have to go through in order to acquire this uh, brain disease much like you would have to do the same uh, lifestyle choices in order to acquire diabetes or heart disease so these are chronic diseases that happen over time it is you just don't wake up one morning and you have heart disease and normally you don't wake up in the morning and just have um, diabetes so it's a it's a process and a lot of it is a process You just, it's not an all of a sudden thing. And well, the same thing is with addiction and the formation of that addiction. You have impulsivity, and that usually starts with an impulsive decision to use drugs. A challenge of the addicted person is that self-control, where they kind of, they lose it. And it's common for those that are struggling with addiction to have a relapse. And a relapse doesn't mean that treatment isn't working. It's just like with other chronic health diseases, it's really hard to manage and it takes time and it takes learning how to manage it in the right way. Just like when you have to take your medication for your diabetes, you have to remember to check your blood sugar. You have to remember to take your insulin and then count your carbs if that's what you're doing. And the same thing with heart disease too. You have to remember to take your medications on time and when you're supposed to so that your heart can keep on beating the way it should, and that you can enjoy the quality of life that uh, you you have. Also, further on, what happens in the brain when a person takes drugs or they use drugs? Well, most drugs affect the brain's reward circuit, and it causes euphoria as well as flooding it with a chemical messenger called dopamine. Now, a properly functioning reward system uh, is there to keep us going. And to keep us doing the things that are rewarding for our species. We call them the natural drives. So the natural reward system is comprised of uh, if you eat well, or if you eat and you feel satisfied. Say you sit down and you have a wonderful meal. And you're like, wow, that was a really great meal. I want to have that again. Well, that is the message being encoded in your brain that this is a good thing. And we should do it again. Now there's other ones. Uh, Sex is one of them. 
Uh, it's a very enjoyable experience and we want to do it again and again and again. And the reason why is because it is an enjoyable experience, but it's also linked to our survival as a species. And the byproduct of sex is children. So that's why sex is there. It's to help us procreate and further our species. Now with eating, we ha we need to eat. We cannot not eat. We have also the drive of close relationships. So like when you make a really good friend and they're like your best friend, there's a chemical also and it's dopamine and it goes in there and says, this person is a good person. This relationship was a great thing. So you know what? We really like this person because that person makes us feel good. Now there's other things connected with the reward circuit, but those are the main three that we can really look at and go, hey, these are the things that we do. So these repeated behaviors need to thrive. And like I said, such as eating, spending time with loved ones. When surges of dopamine in the reward circuit, they cause a reinforcement of that pleasurable activity. But unhealthy behaviors that do the same thing, like taking drugs, they lead us to repeat that behavior over and over again. Unlike going to the buffet and really enjoying the buffet when we go up two times or three times, drugs is opposite. It makes us want to crave it and want to do it more and more and more until it takes on a life of its own and it's like game over. You can't think about anything else besides getting high or drinking. When we continue to use drugs, the brain eventually adapts and it reduces the ability of the cells in the reward circuit to respond to it. And this reduces the high that the person feels and is compared to compared to the high they felt when they first took the drug. And if you talk to many drug addicts or people that are addicted to things, nothing will ever replace the first time you got high. That's why you seek more and more and more. And it becomes, it takes on a life of its own because our brain is continually adapting to reach that first level. And so what we're getting into here is tolerance. And tolerance is a buildup. Right? We build up a tolerance to something. So if you think of like running, uh, you can build up a tolerance to running long periods of time. Such as like if you start off with walking fast and then eventually decide to run, you don't just run two miles a day. You work up to it and you build your tolerance to run that length of distance. Well, the same thing happens with drugs in the brain. We reach this tolerance where... It's just not enough. We have to go further. It's almost opposite. We have to, we need more in order to feel satisfied. And that's our brain adapting to the drugs. So we have to try more and more of the drug in order to achieve the same feeling or the same high. And the brain uses these adaptations. And it leads us to become less and less able to derive pleasure from other things like what we talked about, like food, sex, or social activities. And that can cause a big problem because we will go without food. We will go without social activities. We will go without sex and all those other things that are very pleasurable to us just so we can get high. This is how addiction forms in the brain and then eventually takes over to the point of where the person is, is solely engrossed in getting high. And that is all that is there for them. That becomes their first and only thing. Now, our brain is pretty amazing and it's pretty awesome. But when this reward 
circuit becomes hijacked or taken over by an unhealthy behavior, then all bets are off. We're receiving a reward for something that we didn't actually do. We're short-circuiting it. We're short-cutting it. We're being hijacked. We're being taken over, basically. But that never enters the mind. When we take our first drink or we smoke our first joint, is that memory is encoded. And we will always try to chase that. Now, not everybody tries to chase it. Because some people can maybe drink a couple drinks every night and never form an addiction. And other people, man, they, they take two drinks and it's like two and then it's six and then it's 12 and then they're passed out on the floor and there's empties all around them and their significant other is waking them up and saying, what the hell's going on? You passed out downstairs? What's wrong with you? And addiction will overtake our brain to the point of where we'll give up. We'll give up just about everything. We'll give up our children. We'll give up our important relationships. We'll sell just about everything and anything just to get our next fix. And addiction is very hard to overcome because of this reward circuit. And at a point, we're not really fighting a disease. We're fighting biology. Because the biological circuit has been overwhelmed. And we feel more pleasure than what we should. And if we don't continue to use, then we'll never feel that same amount of pleasure. And then we even will combine drugs with a pleasurable activity. I've been an addiction counselor for about eight years. And I can tell you that guys over the eight years that I've been counseling, some of them will say they're afraid of sex. And the reason why, and some might laugh like, oh, oh why are you afraid of sex? This is why they're afraid of sex, because they're afraid that it'll never feel like it did when they were high, because it was a double dose of dopamine. And now that drug is linked to that memory of that pleasurable activity. You get it? The drug, the feeling of the drug has intensified the feeling during sex. And now they're afraid that could be a trigger for them you know, if they start to have intimate relationships or have sex, that they're afraid they might be triggered to use again. But then they're also afraid that it's not going to be as good as it as what they remember. So these are real struggles that people go through. Thing, some things that we take for granted, they struggle with these because there's a fear factor in there. There's a trigger. There's a craving. They've combined good activities with their drugs and now it's being reinforced. And they're afraid it won't feel the same way or it won't have the same effect. Now we can take that same thing, right? So imagine... Uh, you're going out golfing with the buddies and you bring uh, a 36 pack or something and you associate going golfing with drinking and you golf all day and you get pretty smashed by the end of the day and now you form a pattern every time you go golfing guess what you need to bring some beer otherwise it doesn't feel like you're golfing and then it becomes it takes on its own thing so every time I have to go golfing I need a drink I need to have some beer and we need to get smashed. I need to drink this much. So that, again, reinforces in the brain this nice activity that we're doing, golfing, and hanging with friends. So that's a double pleasurable thing that we're doing for ourselves. Now we add drugs in on top of that, and it's a triple whammy. So now we associate every time that we're golfing and having good time with friends, alcohol must be involved. Otherwise, I'm not going to feel well. And that's how this turns into compulsivity. I must have this, otherwise that won't happen. This must happen or I won't feel pleasure or I won't think I'm having a good time. 
So you see how addiction is very sneaky like that. And it forms slowly. It doesn't just form all of a sudden. You take one hit. Very rarely you take one hit or one drug and you're locked into addiction. And it takes time and it takes a lot of effort on your part to reinforce some of those behaviors. Now if we continue to use and we get into long-term use, and this causes changes in the brain and the chemical systems as well as affecting functionings that include learning, judgment, decision-making, stress, memory, and behavior. And you're like, whoa, how can it affect stress? Well, we don't know how to deal with stress. So, of course, that compulsive behavior now is linked with that substance. So when I feel stressed and I come home from work, what do I do? I have a drink. I smoke a joint. Or I pop some pills. And now, all of a sudden, I finally feel better. And memory, memory is a big one with some other drugs. You know, if you're a chronic marijuana smoker, you can have short-term memory loss and forget things because the brain doesn't quite process the way it should. It slows it down to the point of where not necessarily will all the information be gathered. And you might say, behavior. Well, I can see behavior because people act a fool sometimes when they're high. Yeah, but more than that, Addiction can pull us out to doing things that violate our own code of morals and our values. In fact, we lose our values most of the time. So it pushes us to do things that we would never do. I had a client who said that he had done things that he'd never thought he would do. Not in a good way, in a bad way. Where he was exchanging sex for drugs, where he was robbing people, he was beating people, he was transporting drugs just so he could get his drugs to use. And he ended up being sent to prison because of these behaviors. And it wasn't because he was a bad guy. And it wasn't because he had evil intent, but because his behavior and his whole entire world revolved around getting high. Now, I would venture to say that a lot of our people that are sent to jail or prison for drug charges, they're not bad people. They have this acquired disease. Now, that's not to excuse behavior, their behavior that they did, but it should take into account that they were not in full control of themselves, of their brain, and of their behavior. Their behavior was being dictated by their substance use. So our mood and behavior has been set aside. We're not ourselves. Those that are struggling with addiction know this. You are not who you were when you were growing up. You are not your ideal self. And sometimes you look in the mirror and you say, man, I really hate my life. And sometimes you might even say, I wish I could end my life because this is never going to end. Because addiction is hard to beat. It's a hard thing to treat. And again, it's not because the person is bad or evil or corrupt. They've acquired this disease. It has been reinforced in their brain over and over again. Just like when we eat a nice dinner, we engage in sexual activities or we hang out with our friends. Addiction, it is a son of a gun. I'll tell you that right now. And it's hard to deal with and it's hard to treat. Now, does it mean that it's a lost cause? No, but this is the beginning of the formation of addiction we're discussing today and how it forms and how it can just take over your entire life to the point where you don't give a crap about anything. Now, you might say, is everybody gonna become addicted? Can everybody become addicted? Yeah. Anybody can become addicted, but there are factors. There are factors that go into play that may make people more susceptible to addiction than others. 
And some of these things, and there's not one one factor that can predict it, but it's like a combination of factors that influences that risk for addiction. And the more risk factors a person has, the greater chance of them taking drugs and forming addiction is more likely. So we look at biology, the environment, and development. Those are three big areas that we look at, biology. And those are looking at the genes that we're born with. And they account for about half the person's risk for addiction. Now, gender, ethnicity, and the presence of other mental health disorders may also influence the risk for drug addiction and drug use. So we look at biology. So if you look back in your family tree, do you have a lot of formations of alcoholics or drug users or people that are addicted to other than chemical behaviors? If you do, then guess what? You're at a more percent risk of becoming addicted than those that do not have that in their family tree or in their genes. Now let's look at environment. Environment includes many different influences, and it is from family, friends, economic status, general quality of life, peer pressure, physical and sexual abuse, early exposure to drugs, stress, prenatal guidance. All those things, they can affect us. So if in our environment we live in a very stressful environment, say, for example, you live uh, downtown St. Paul or you live in a place in a metro area that is high crime and you have to watch your back everywhere you go and you really don't feel safe, that's one factor. What if you've become, what if you have been neglected or abused by your parents or by your caregivers? There's another one. And what if your friends are constantly putting it in your face? And saying, hey, you got to try this. This is a good thing. Or even that you witness your parents do it. And they expose you to those drugs because they don't know any better. Well, your environment has a big impact on how we view it. And if it's around us all the time, it becomes this normal thing. It becomes a modeled behavior. Well, if mom and dad do it and all my friends are doing it and everybody in the community is doing it, it must be an okay thing to do. So that's how environment can influence and even development. So even with genetic and environmental factors, they interact at developmental stages in a person's life that help affect the addiction risk. And even though drugs can lead to addiction, it's earlier than that. So drug use could, we could be set up for drug use even before that. And especially if our brains don't develop right. So if we have a problem controlling our mood, our behaviors, decision-making, judgment, and self-control, man, if, if we don't have those things growing up, if we haven't been taught how to work those things in a developmental way, then we're really working down the wrong path here. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have, you're going to form addiction. It just shows that you have a higher risk for the formation of addiction if you start using than you would if someone didn't have these things. Now, you might think, well, we, we're finding cures for a lot of things, and maybe we can find a cure for addiction. Or can it be prevented? Well, yeah, it can be prevented. But like with other chronic diseases that we first talked about, like diabetes, asthma, and heart disease, treatment is generally not the cure, right? It's usually management. And we do the same thing with addiction. We manage it through treatment, therapy, and learning skills in our lives in order so that we don't fall back in the same behavior patterns that helped us form that addiction in the first place. So research shows that combining addiction treatment medicines with behavior therapy usually gives us the best chance in order to overcome or learn how to manage 
our addiction effectively. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with it because if we remember back, like asthma, diabetes, heart disease, those things we have to stay on top of most of the time, if not all the time. Otherwise, we'll fall apart. And it's the same thing with addiction. But you know what? After time, it becomes easier and easier to control or to manage our urges, our triggers, and our cravings. And we're no longer acting in a compulsive way, and we've got control over our impulses, then we're set up better to not continue with our addiction. Now, not all treatment is equal. I will definitely tell you that, because I've worked in several treatment facilities and programs that some were really good, and some were, well, not that good. And that's putting it nicely. So when we combine these treatments, and sometimes we give people medication to help them with their cravings and their urges. And I really think of a lot about um, opioid addiction where they use methadone, suboxone, and there's even some other ones that you can get once a month. And I think that one, if I remember correctly, is called Vivitrol. And that really helps with the cravings and the trigger. No, it helps with the cravings, not necessarily the triggers, because we have to learn around those triggers. We have to learn how to integrate our lives to the point of where just because we see something that might remind us of our addiction or our drug use doesn't mean we fall into it, that we let ourselves be taken down that road again. And that's why, you know, treatment, just treatment alone, you can't just do 30 days and just figure like everything's going to be okay. If you do that, then you're really, you're living, you're living in a, in a fantasy world, in a fantasy world that has a harsh reality with it. So treatment will take time and it takes time to change behaviors and it takes time to reclaim that natural drive in our brains so it can work correctly. So a lot of times I would tell people that came in for treatment and say, how long have you been addicted to the to your substance of choice. And one individual said, for about 30 years, I've been addicted for about 30 years. And I said, well, good. So do you feel that if for every day that you're in treatment, that you're going to overcome one year of addiction? He's like, well, I'm hoping that a 30-day program will be the trick. And in talking with him a little bit further, I kind of laid it out for him a little bit clearer for him so he could be an informed consumer of treatment and said, you know, it's going to take you longer than 30 days to overcome this. You have to learn how to basically live your life all over again. So you have to unlearn the parts that you corrupted. So if it is, if you like going golfing, you have to learn how to go golfing without drinking. If it's hanging with your friends, you have to learn how to do that without getting high. So it, it it's a big challenge because a lot of the things that we've done, it's like I said, it's ingrained in our brain. We can't just turn it off. It takes time to overcome these things and to learn how to manage them and also manage ourselves. Now that's another thing, right? That not only have we become addicted, but we have not been good managers of ourselves, right? We don't take care of ourselves. We don't take care of others. We basically have to learn how to adult all over again learning how to budget, learning how to pay bills on time, learning how to uh, delay our gratification and not just chase after things that will make us feel good all the time. We have to learn those, and those are skills that sometimes are not taught or gone over in treatment. It's a difficult thing. The formation of addiction 
A, it doesn't happen overnight. B, it can be overcome and managed. It can be managed well. And I guess there's some points to remember, right? When, when we talk about drug addiction, remember it's compulsive. It's difficult to control and will continue to do it despite harmful consequences. And the brain changes. It happens over time and it uses, it, it challenges our self-control and it interferes with our ability to resist intense urges to take those drugs. And that's why addiction is also a relapsing disease. And most drugs affect the brain's reward circuit by flooding it with chemical messengers, and that messenger is dopamine. And we also remember that over time, the brain adjusts to the excess dopamine, which reduces the high that the person feels compared to the high they felt when they first took the drug. And that's what we call tolerance. And also, let's remember that not one single factor can predict whether a person will become addicted to drugs, but it's a combination of genetic, environmental, and developmental factors that influences the risk of that addiction. And drug addiction, lastly, drug addiction is very treatable and can successfully be managed. I've seen it with hundreds of people. It can happen. It will happen. So there is hope. There's always hope. You just have to know where to look, where to find it. Hope is out there. Well, I hope you enjoyed our little discussion today on formation of addiction. And I hope that I can continue to do this and hopefully you find it interesting and entertaining, I suppose. This is Brian Ariel with the Everyday Addict Podcast. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook. And also I have an email address. It's the everydayaddict8 at gmail.com. And again, that's everydayaddict, the number eight, at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. If there's topics you want me to discuss, drop me a line and let me know. So until next time, be safe and be well.